Good morning. Hope everyone's doing well this morning. As you can see, Pastor Tim is not here to preach this morning. We knew that he couldn't be contained by this, <laughs> this, this house, this hunter's lodge. So, so I have the privilege of delivering the message to you this morning. Oh boy. <laughs> I, I apologize in advance for anything I'm about to say. <laughs> Uh, well, with that wonderful introduction, let's jump in, right? <laughs> I was reading a story recently of a house that burned down. There was an electrical short circuit in the second floor, started a fire in the middle of the night, and it quickly enveloped the home. Family was sleeping in the house at the time. Thankfully, the fire alarm went off and woke them up, and they were all able to get out of the house, except for the 10-year-old son, whose room was on the third floor. He couldn't get past the flames down the stairs. And luckily for this boy, there was a window that exited out onto the roof, which typically wouldn't be very safe with a 10-year-old boy, right? <laughs> but he was able to climb out on the roof and start to scream for help. And, and he called out for help as the smoke and the flame built up all around him. He, he couldn't see anything below him. But he heard his father calling back to him, It's okay, son. I can see you. I'm right below you. Just jump to me. I'll catch you. The boy couldn't see his father anywhere, and he responded back, Dad, I, I can't see you anywhere. It's getting hot up here. What am, I gonna, what am I supposed to do? I can't see you. The father reassured him, It's all right, son. I'm right here. I can see you clearly. Just jump. And so, without giving it another thought, the little boy backed up on the roof and took a leap of faith through the smoke, through the flame, and found himself caught in his father's arms. Now, apparently, this isn't a very uncommon story. There are lots of stories like this, if you just do a little Google search on the Internet, of people who got trapped in a fire, went up to the roof, couldn't see anything, but had to take a leap into the unknown in order to be saved. And I think that we as Christians often find ourselves in the exact same type of situation where we come to those crossroads where we don't know which way to go or we don't see very clearly which way we're supposed to go, but we hear our Heavenly Father calling to us, telling us to take a leap of faith. And this can look like a lot of different things, a lot of different scenarios, but the question that we always have to ask ourselves is whether we're ready to jump. Are we willing to venture into the unknown? And so the message that the Lord put on my heart to share with us today is designed to encourage us for those situations when we are called to go into uncertainty. When we're standing on the precipice and being told to jump. And so we're going to look at a couple of qualities, a couple of characteristics 
that define people who have taken those leaps of faith. So while you turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 31, Acts 8, 26 through 31, I'm going to pray. Father God, thank you for this privilege. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just fill me now, that I would speak your truth with power and love. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would prepare each of our hearts to receive your truth, that it would be buried deep down within our hearts, that we might live it out and be convicted by it and act upon it. I pray these things now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, before we dive into our main text, which is the first half of the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, we're going to do a quick review of the background to get the context of the passage. So the first question that we have to answer is, who is Philip? Who's this Philip guy? He was not the Apostle Philip. He's the deacon Philip. We're first introduced to him in Acts chapter 6. And he is one of the original seven deacons who is appointed by the apostles. And just like all the other deacons, he's described as a man who had a great reputation, who is full of wisdom and full of the Holy Spirit. Additionally, we know that he was a Hellenist Jew, which means that his primary language was Greek. He wasn't born in Israel. He was born outside of Israel to, to Jewish parents, but he himself was not a Aramaic-speaking Jew as his first language. So this would have meant that he was far more comfortable in and around Gentiles, in and around non-Jews, because he would have grown up all around them. Finally, and interestingly, he's the only person in all of Scripture who is specifically referred to as an evangelist, as someone who is gifted at preaching and spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's who Philip is. Where is Philip? Well, after he became a deacon and he was ministering in Jerusalem, a great persecution broke out, and most of the church in Jerusalem was scattered to all the surrounding areas, including Philip. Philip traveled north to Samaria. And while he was in Samaria, he began to preach the good news of Jesus Christ, right? He's an evangelist. That's what he does. And so he's there in fulfillment of the command that Jesus gave to the apostles in the beginning of Acts to go and preach in Samaria. And he starts to see a tremendous work of God in Samaria. Also, in recognition of John chapter 4, well, Jesus said that the Samaritans were ripe for harvest, And so there is a tremendous move of the Holy Spirit and people are healed and and demons are cast out and there's a revival that breaks out. And so it's in the midst of this revival that we pick up our text today and is where we will see four qualities of those who are willing to venture into the unknown. Now, these qualities are are highly interrelated and interdependent, 
And, and so one will feed into the other. But we're going to take them one, as a, one at a time as they appear in the text. So, so read with me now as we dive into our text. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. So we see an angel of the Lord appear to Philip and tell him, Hey, time to go. Time to leave Samaria. In a word, the Lord was telling Philip that he needed to be flexible. He needed to be flexible. We just talked about how Philip was the main tool of this tremendous revival that was going on in Samaria. And despite that, in the midst of that, he gets a message from an angel telling him that it's time to go. Now, I don't know how you read Scripture, but when I read Scripture, I like to try to put myself in the shoes of these men and women here and kind of think about how I would react. And so, if I was in Philip's shoes, I can think of at least three questions, three reasons why I would have immediately said, this angel doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> and, and, and so, the first thing that I would have questioned is, Lord, why are you calling me away from this tremendous ministry? It doesn't make any sense. There's, there's all these people who are coming to know you as their personal Lord and Savior, and you want me to leave? That doesn't make any sense. But the Lord was teaching Philip a crucial lesson here. It doesn't matter how great things are going. The Lord can and will call you away to new work whenever he wants, at any time. The question is, are you flexible enough, are we flexible enough to heed that call? It's easy to walk from a bad situation into a good one, or from a bad situation into something new, but it's far more difficult to walk from a good situation into an uncertain one. Can we do that? Do we have the flexibility to do that, like Philip had to have? So then I would probably ask myself, all right, Lord, I get it, I, I'm leaving, okay, but you didn't even tell me where to go. I, I don't even know where I'm supposed to go. All, all you said was to go toward the south, to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. It doesn't say, go to mile marker 38 or get off at exit 73. He just says, go toward the south, which is kind of an ambiguous instruction, isn't it? Now, remember, Philip is up in Samaria, 30 miles north of Jerusalem. So first, he had to walk several days down to Jerusalem, and then the road from Jerusalem to Gaza was another 50 miles long. And so he would have had to walk 50 more miles until something happened. I don't know about you, but I'm not a big fan of walking long distances. Especially when I have no idea where I'm going. <laughs> now, interestingly, the Greek here can also be translated, go 
at about noon to the road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. And if that's what the Lord said, then it makes even less sense. Because now, not only am I not knowing where I'm going, but I have to walk during the hottest part of the day when no one else is going to be on the road. Awesome. So I have to walk to a place that I don't know where I'm going and sweat my pants off to get there. Right? This is just a great trip, isn't it? And then finally, the thought would hit me, well, well, why are you sending me through the middle of nowhere when no one's going to be on the road? This just doesn't make any sense. Luke adds here, very matter-of-factly, this is a desert place. And he says this to let us know how strange of a command this was. You see, there were two roads that went from Jerusalem to Gaza, two main roads. One road went through, went directly from Jerusalem to New Gaza. You see, Gaza was destroyed in the first century BC, and so there was a road that bypassed the old ruins and went right to the New Gaza. There was a second road, however, that went through the old ruins and then continued on to New Gaza. One of those roads, the new road, was a very safe and highly traveled, lots of water around it, road. The second road, through old Gaza, through the ruins, was a desolate, arid road with very little water on the way. Only near the end of the road, towards Gaza, was the first real substantial amount of water. Which road do you think the Lord told Philip to take? The second road, the old road, the desolate road. So not only am I leaving behind a flourishing ministry to walk to a place that I don't really know where I'm going through the hottest part of the day, but i got to get there through an arid, desolate place where I'm likely to be attacked by bandits in these old ruins. <laughs> Sweet, right? This is, this is a great trip. But... It's about this time that I would have to remind myself of Isaiah 55, where the Lord says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We have to remember that God isn't always going to let us know the final destination. And in fact, I would go so far as to say that he usually doesn't know, let us know how things are going to end up. And oftentimes, the way there might be very uncomfortable and unpleasant. But we need to be flexible enough to start the journey despite not knowing the end destination. Despite not being comfortable with the road. We have to remember that the Lord always knows best. And, and like Ruth, we need to be willing to say, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Lord, wherever you lead, I will follow you. I will follow you wherever you go. So, okay, this is good. 
but how do we evaluate how flexible we are? Let's, let's try to get a little practical here. How do we know if we're people who are going to be willing to go on the trip? So here's a couple of questions that we can ask ourselves. First of all, do you get anxious or worried when things aren't going according to plan? When things aren't going according to schedule? When someone else suggests a different way of doing something, maybe a better way of doing something, are you willing to give it a try? Or do you stubbornly persist continuing to do your thing because that's how you've always done it? Here's a tough one for me. Do you always have to be in control? Does every little detail have to be within your fingertips? Have your hands on everything. Friends, if we're answering these questions in ways that show that we are not very flexible, we need to recognize that. And we need to ask God to show us how we can trust Him more. This is something that I had to come to grips with when I felt the Lord leading me out of the legal profession into ministry. I had lots of different questions. Lord, I don't know if I'm going to be any good at this. How, what, what's going to happen with my family? What, or, am I hearing you right? Do you really want me there? And, and so I had to do a lot of soul searching myself and ask myself, am I willing to follow that command? And through that season of my life, there was one verse in particular that really, really ministered to me. And it's a very, we know this verse, but, but it's one that we should all memorize, really. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Our flexibility is tied directly to the degree to which we trust the Lord. The more that we trust Him, the more willing we will be willing to go wherever He tells us to. In order to be people who are willing to venture into the unknown... We have to be flexible, and we have to trust in the Lord. But the text continues on, picking up in verse 27. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Apparently, Philip didn't have to wrestle too long with the questions that I know I would have had <laughs> because the text says very plainly, he rose and went. There wasn't any whining or complaining. There wasn't any questioning, all right, Lord, are, are, am I hearing you clearly here? Philip heard and he obeyed. And this is the next characteristic that we see every time with people who are willing to venture into the unknown. 
Faithful obedience. Faithful obedience. A.W. Tozer said of the relationship of faith and obedience, the Bible recognizes no faith that does not lead to obedience, nor does it recognize any obedience that does not spring from faith. The two are opposite sides of the same coin. Now, I know this isn't anything groundbreaking. I know we've probably all heard lots of sermons on this. But it doesn't matter what we say we believe if we don't live it out. And we need to be reminded of that because it's so easy to fall back into it. We need to go back and read James chapter 2 every now and then and remind ourselves that if we don't live out our faith, if we aren't obedient to what the Lord has us to do, then our faith is dead. And it's meaningless to us. It's just empty words. When I was 16, I got my license, learned how to drive, and I immediately became the bus for my family. (laughs) I was the one who would take my brothers and sisters to school. I would also pick up my then-girlfriend, future wife, Leslie, and her brothers from school. And, And so I became the school bus, but I also had the responsibility of maintaining the car. I had to wash it and and make sure all the different fluids were okay in the engine. And so I did my job, and, and, and I was pretty diligent at it. But the, my junior year in high school, in the middle of winter, we had a very cold and heavy snowfall that year, lots of snow. And with lots of snow comes lots of salt on the roads, right? And what does salt do to your car? It makes it filthy. And now, being that it was in the middle of winter, I wasn't about to go outside and wash the car. It was freezing. Uh, nor was I about to spend my own money to take it through a drive through car wash. <laughs> I'm not cheap. I'm just frugal, okay? <laughs> frugal. But what happened was the grime on the car continued to build up, and so I would use the windshield wiper fluid and wash it off. But eventually, the windshield wiper fluid ran out. And I neglected, I disobeyed my charge to be responsible and clean it. And the grime started to build up on the windshield. And so one day, as I was driving my wife, girlfriend at the time, home after school, before my wrestling practice, the windshield was so covered in grime, and we were driving into the sun, that I couldn't see out of the windshield. I was driving up, trying to squint through it, thought about putting my head out the window, and then when my nose started freezing, I put it back up. That didn't work. And so as we were driving along, trying to see out out of this windshield, all of a sudden I hear Leslie scream out, Oh my goodness, there's a car in the way! She, in a much more feminine voice than that. (laughs) I'm not wearing tight enough pants. And... And she was right. There was a beige SUV right in front of us about to make a left-hand turn. And so I yanked hard on the, on the, on the steering wheel and then yanked it back into the, into the road. 
And one of the other things that I didn't see was this fire hydrant that just happened to be on the side of the road. And I, I may have blasted it off of the curb. Not knowing what to do, I just continued driving. <laughs> now, despite what you might see in Hollywood, I can assure you that there is no spout of water that comes up. But, but I will admit that I had to ask some police officers after the sermon last night to make sure that the statute of limitations had run on my felony. So, <laughs> Lord, I am a sinful man, I know. <laughs> Forgive me. <laughs> but what happened was my disobedience led directly to my not being able to see an eventual crash. And spiritually, our disobedience works the exact same way. Disobedience is like grime on a windshield. It blocks us from seeing and hearing the word of the Lord. And the longer that we're disobedient, the easier it gets to continue in our disobedience and the more grime that builds up. And eventually, we're going to crash. That's just what happens. It's the way it works. But our, t our disobedience doesn't just affect us. It always has far-ranging repercussions. In my story, I freaked out my girlfriend. There was someone who had a fire hydrant in the middle of the road. The city had to fix it. And the car was all screwed up, which, of course, my dad loved. In the story with Philip, we see that he came across an Ethiopian eunuch. If Philip had chosen to be disobedient, the eunuch would have missed the opportunity God had prepared for him. Now this guy, we, we read right here, he was a high-ranking official in the kingdom known as Cush. That's what Ethiopia referred to. It was just south of Egypt. And he was in charge of that country's finances, kind of like the, the, the treasurer, the secretary of the treasury, okay? And had tremendous influence in that country. But most importantly, he was searching for the truth of who the Messiah was. He was so hungry for the truth, in fact, that he was willing to travel over 1,200 miles from Cush up to Israel. That, that would be like walking from this church down to Miami, Florida, just so we can get that picture, okay? It was a trip that would have taken several months, not something that you just do lightly. So this man was hungry for the truth. And God had clearly a plan to let him find the answer, but it required the obedience of Philip to have accomplished we always have to remember that our disobedience can impact those around us. Of course, on the flip side, when we're obedient, we never know who the Lord is going to bless through us. This, this past week, I, I went for a walk in the city, downtown here. And, and the Lord kind of, when, when I... When I took this job, the Lord put on my heart to, to start getting out in the city and praying and meeting people. And so I've been trying to do that at least once a week, kind of do like a prayer walk sort of thing. And so this week, as I, as I walked down 2nd Street and made a right-hand turn onto Northampton, 
I, towards Peberg, I saw in the distance this big group of people, big crowd of people. And as I got closer, I saw that a lot of them were wearing this African tribal garb. So my interest was piqued. And my friend who I was walking with, as we got closer, we saw that the mayor was there with them, along with a number of people from the mayor's office. And my friend knew the mayor, and the mayor invited us over, and he said, I'd like to introduce you to the supreme commander of Ghana. (laughs) You can see a picture of him right behind me. Now, you have to imagine what was going through my head, right? So I'm preaching about a guy who goes on a walk and runs into this high-ranking African official. And here I am going on a walk, and I run into a high-ranking African official. You can't make this up, right? This, this stuff just doesn't happen by coincidence. And so I'm there, I'm thinking, all right, I, I'm, I'm supposed to baptize him, and then I'm going to be teleported. This is going to be so cool. <laughs> Uh, that didn't happen. <laughs> but we started talking. <laughs> we started talking, and he was telling us about how he's here on a trip to raise awareness for the elections that are going on in his country. Apparently, he went to Easton High School. Who knew? And, and he was here to, to just try to raise awareness. And so as we finished up our discussion, I, the Lord just was like, you need to pray for this guy. And so I said... Excuse me, Mr. Supreme Commander, is it all right if I pray for you? And he looked at me and he said in his African accent, which I'm not going to attempt, I would be honored if you would pray for me. And, and so I did. I, I prayed for him and I prayed for his country and his trip that the Lord would just pour out his blessings on him and that he would come to know and his people would come to know Jesus Christ. And... And you can imagine some of the glances that I got from the people in the mayor's office and and things like that, right? But it didn't matter. I knew that I was being obedient to what the Lord was calling me to do, and I knew that because of that, that that man would be blessed. We must be faithfully obedient to the things the Lord calls us to, because if we're not, we will never venture into the unknown, And there will likely be many people who miss out on the blessings that the Lord has for them. We must be people who are obedient. And so the text continues on in verse 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip is walking along this lonely, hot, desolate road obediently following the Lord's command, probably thinking to himself, all right, Lord, my feet are starting to hurt here. Why am I here? And then he sees in the distance this dust cloud, and he gets closer and sees this large group of Ethiopians who are traveling along the road. Now, I know it says in the text that it was just a single Ethiopian eunuch, but we know culturally and historically that a high-ranking official like this would not have been traveling by himself. He would have had a large group of people traveling, traveling with him. And so he sees this large group of people and he says, All right, Lord, 
is this why I'm here? Is this, is this why you brought me here? And the Holy Spirit says to him, Yes, Philip, this is exactly why you're here. Go and join the chariot in the center of the people. I've, I've preached on this topic before, but, but we see that Philip was able to enter into the unknown because he was a man who was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this shouldn't come as any surprise to us because remember we talked in the beginning of the sermon about how Acts chapter 6 describes him specifically as a man who is full of the Holy Spirit. But, but this is something that we need to be reminded of ourselves over and over again, that we need to live our lives through the direction and leading of the Lord. Ephesians 5.18 commands us, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Amen. amen. That's a good amen. <laughs> this is a command to every single believer. No exceptions. And it means that we must submit to the guidance of the Lord every single day, over and over, continually. Look, if we're Christians, if you're a Christian sitting here, you have the Holy Spirit living in your heart. That is beyond debate. Scripture tells us that very clearly. But listen, just because the Holy Spirit is living in your heart does not mean that He has control of your life. And to assume that makes you a fool. We need to make a conscious effort to live our lives submitted to the will of the Holy Spirit every single day. We have to seek on a continual basis to be instruments of the Holy Spirit's will. How many of you have played an instrument before? When I was in fourth grade, I had to learn how to play an instrument. It was part of our curriculum. And, and I, was more, I, was, I was always into sports and never really had any interest in it. And so I chose the instrument that I was told would be the easiest to learn how to play. I couldn't do cymbals. That wasn't allowed. So I chose to play the recorder. You know, the little flute-like instrument, little it's in the woodwind family of instruments, for those of you who are interested in that sort of thing. And, and I would practice, and I got okay with it. I, you know, I could play the songs and, and make my little tooting sounds. And, and, and it, was, it was okay. It was fun. But as soon as I wasn't required to play anymore, recorder in garbage, never thought of again, done. Sorry, Steve. I know that pains you to hear that. <laughs> now, my brother, when he was in fourth grade, also had to learn how to play an instrument. And if any of you know my brother Marcus, he wasn't content to merely play the easy recorder. No, no, no. He had to play what he was told was the most difficult of all woodwind instruments, the oboe. And so he decided to play the oboe. Unfortunately for our family, he was far less diligent in his practice than I was. 
And so every time he played, it was, it was amazing. All these geese would start landing around the house. It was the weirdest thing. And, and I, I swear there was, there was a goose that somehow got into the house and was going through labor. It was just awful sounding. <laughs> Naturally, he stopped playing as soon as he could as well because he couldn't pick up the instrument. But my sister Michaelin, she wanted to learn how to play the piano. And she practiced every day. And she got better and better and better until it was second nature to her. It was just natural. And she got so good, in fact, that she started to write her own music and write her own songs. And to this day, when she writes a new song, I always want to hear it because it's, it's, I know it's going to be a beautiful thing. <laughs> Friends, our lives are instruments. And the Holy Spirit is the conductor. We have to practice our instruments. We have to practice living our lives according to the conducting of the Holy Spirit. If we don't make a conscious effort to practice, like my brother, then our lives are going to sound awful. Don't be surprised if geese start following you around. <laughs> Our lives will be devoid of the power of the Holy Spirit if we don't practice living our life that way. At the same time, if you're like me, and you only do it because it's some rote spiritual exercise, eventually you're going to walk away and not care anymore because you don't love doing it. And you'll end up in the exact same place. We have to love to play our instruments and love to practice living our life according to the will of the Holy Spirit. And when we do, when we practice that submission, the Lord will make beautiful music with us. Now, you're probably wondering, how do I do this? How do I live my life according to the Holy Spirit? Well, unfortunately, I don't have time to get into it. But I've preached on it before, and so I would really encourage you to check out that sermon because I go through that in depth. Or you can just ask me about it after the service. <laughs> but that doesn't change the fact that if we can learn to follow the Lord's leading, learn how to comply with the command to be filled with the Holy Spirit then we're going to be people who are willing to venture into the unknown. We have to live our lives according to the will of God. Finally, our text concludes, So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So Philip receives the leading of the Spirit and immediately obeys, sprinting up to the chariot. And then as he runs up there and hears what the Ethiopian is reading, he asks him a question that can be considered kind of demeaning, right? Do you, do you understand what you're reading? Not only that, he then hops up into the chariot with the guy and starts talking to him. 
Philip was fearless. He was fearless. And this fearlessness, this boldness, is a common characteristic of those who are recorded in the book of Acts and all throughout Scripture, of people who were willing to venture into uncertainty. In Acts chapter 4, after Peter and John are arrested and taken before the Sanhedrin and beaten and questioned and then told, stop talking about Jesus Christ, and then they're let go, they go back to the disciples and they tell them what happened and they start to pray with them. Listen to what they prayed for. Acts chapter 4, verses 29 through 31. Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hands to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. We have to fearlessly and boldly proclaim the word of God and do the things that he calls us to do, especially when it means that we have to venture into the unknown. Otherwise, the fear that is within us is going to take control and we will become paralyzed and useless. When Philip saw the group of Ethiopians, he could have become afraid for his safety, right? But immediately, he ran into the midst of them. And then, as he got closer, he could have seen the high-ranking official that he was approaching and become intimidated by the man. But instead, he spoke boldly and fearlessly to him. He heard, he obeyed, and then he acted with no fear. He acted with no fear. I was reading recently about the African impala. It's, it's an animal that is in, lives in the southern plains of Africa, and it stands about 30 to 40 inches high. It, it's, in the Zulu language, it means gazelle. You can see a picture of it behind me. And this, this animal is, is an incredible animal. It's incredible. It, it can reach speeds, listen to this, of up to 55 miles an hour, all right? Little three-foot animal, 55 miles an hour. Hear this. It can jump 10 feet high and up to 30 feet long. In, in two bounds, it could be across this room. This thing, picture Bambi on steroids, okay? <laughs> It, this thing is incredible. And, and what I found most fascinating about this animal, however, is that when it's captured, it can be contained by a four-foot fence. Now, how can an animal with so much tremendous athletic ability be contained by such a small fence? The answer is very simple. If the impala cannot see where it's landing, it will not jump. Friends, it doesn't matter how gifted we are, 
how much of an impact we could potentially have on the kingdom of God and for the kingdom of God. If we're afraid to jump, then it's worthless. If we're afraid to leap over the fence into the unknown, then our gifts and abilities are wasted. And let me tell you, Satan is an excellent fence builder. He excels at stoking our fears. This is why the Christians in the early church, first and foremost in the midst of persecution, prayed for boldness, prayed for fearlessness, because Satan was trying to build those fences up around them. And they said, no, we're going to jump no matter what. We are commanded to fear not more than anything else in all of Scripture. Did you know that? More than anything else, we're told to fear not. And I know that I just spoke about this last time, but if the Bible repeats itself over 360 times on this point, I think that we can stand to hear it more than once, right? Amen. <laughs> Amen. God didn't give us a spirit of fear, did He? He gave us a spirit of power and love and self-control, 2 Timothy 1.7. We need to be people who are fearless, who have no fear, who jump over any fence that is erected in front of us. Then we will be people who will always be willing to venture into the unknown. All right, so this is a nice little story about Philip. There's four neat little points that we can follow. But friends, what are we going to do about it? That's the important question we have to ask ourselves now. What are we going to do about the truth of the gospel, of Scripture? Are we going to hear it, agree with it intellectually, and then go on our way home and do nothing, continuing to deceive ourselves? Or are we going to be doers of the word and not hearers only? Because here's the reality of the situation. Every single person in this room has some unknown in their life that the Lord is calling you to step into. For some of us, He might be calling us to be a stronger witness to our friends or family, or classmates. For some of us, he's calling us to unclutter and uncomplicate our lives because there's so much going on that we have no time for God. Maybe he's calling you to get more involved here in Cornerstone or to commit to going downtown to the new campus once we launch it. Perhaps you've been sitting behind a fence, content and comfortable in your fear, not willing to venture into the unknown. Maybe he's telling you it's time to leap out. Or maybe he's telling you it's time to recognize the addiction in your life, that, that sin that you have been refusing to address 
Maybe he's telling you it's time to confess and repent. Maybe he's telling you it's time to finally take me seriously. No more of this lukewarm living, this floating through your faith without me being the top priority in your life. Or maybe you're here and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now and He's saying, you need to put your faith in me for the very first time. I sent my Son to die for your sins because you can't get to heaven on your own. You need Jesus in your life and you need to put your faith in Him. If you're sitting here and the Lord is convicting your heart that you need to be someone who is willing to leap into the unknown, what are you going to do about it? Do you even want these characteristics? Are you going to seek them out and ask the Lord to make them more abundant in your life? Because every single one of us is standing on that rooftop with smoke and flame all around us. The question is whether you're ready to jump. Are you willing to leap into the unknown? Let's pray that the Lord makes it so. Father God, thank you. Thank you for the power of your scripture. Thank you for the truth and the conviction that comes with diving deep into your word. Lord, I pray that every one of us here would hear this truth and that we would seek to be people who are more flexible and trusting in you. That we would be determined to be faithfully obedient to whatever that you tell us to do. That we would be so in tune with the leading of your spirit that it would become something that we love to do and is second nature to us and is natural as we follow your leading every day. And Lord, I pray that you make us fearless Christians, boldly proclaiming the word of the gospel and boldly walking down the path that you have set before us. Father, I pray that you would just overwhelmingly Bless this congregation with these things that we, every one of us, would be people who are willing to go into the unknown, that we would be a people who would rock this area of the country because of these characteristics that we have. Father, I pray that you would just bless us abundantly and keep us mindful of these things, hide them deep in our hearts, that we would be doers of the word and not hearers only. Father, thank you for this privilege. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would drive these things deep into our hearts, that we would live them out. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.